Happy New Year to everybody. Could it be that 2020 is finally dead and gone? I'm not so sure. Might come back from the grave. Suck us back into a full 12 months more. But in any case, it's Testazapod. I got some great questions for you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. Let's go. little bit of housekeeping there will be a live stream on january 2nd at 8 p.m eastern time nikki and i will be there we got a couple special guests lined up and we'll be we will be kicking off the turbo atoll slash mofos store launch a lot of great stuff uh going to be available also probably by the time you're listening to this there are additional slots open on patreon patreon.com slash jesse d'estasio for action figure of the month club there are a limited number of slots. If you want to be a part of the club, you can sign up for a single month or you can sign up annually. And uh, I'm going to start sending out January's figure in a little while. So it's pretty exciting, and I hope you'll join us. Uh, if you miss these open slots, it's going to be a while until I add additional ones. Also on the horizon, we're at 168 for patrons at the moment. If we hit 200 patrons, then the next Design a Night contest will open up and patrons can vote by popularity what the new figure will be. We're going to design one together. So that's very exciting. And just to clarify, it's a colorway of a previous existing figure, not a brand new figure that you've never seen before. With the public enrollment for Action Figure of the Month Club, and given that we're so very close to 200 patrons already, I think we'll probably exceed that goal in short time. So that's another bright spot to look forward to. Hey, 2021 ain't so bad already. Uh, Please don't play this back in December of 2021 because I'm sure there's some bad stuff around the corner. Just kidding. It's great. It's a new year. Anyway, today I'm going to kick it off by answering Facebook questions first, and then we can hop into some really great but a, an overabundance of Patreon questions. I may not be able to get to everybody's today. Apologies. First up on Facebook, Cliff Uchida, what is my preferred streaming service? Um, I don't spend a lot of time watching TV. It's, it's almost, uh, you know, um, just at nighttime before I fall asleep. I think um, probably Disney Plus, uh, just because I like all the old cartoons that they have on there. Uh, I've been trying to like slowly rewatch all of um, the X-Men animated series, which was, is so crucial and, and just a, such a great piece of uh, adaptation. Um, and then, you know, of course, Mandalorian when that's uh, sort of rolling. Mike Johnson says, have I played any Elder Scrolls games? If so, what is my preferred race and why? Oh, you're race baiting me. I see how it is. Um... I've played Skyrim extensively. I have not played Oblivion or Morrowind or Elder Scrolls Online. Uh, I have I have put hundreds of hours into Skyrim, and I've played it on multiple platforms, and I, I can't seem to stop rebuying it on new platforms. Um, I believe it was... I bought a Switch a few years back for my first trip to Japan, and I bought Skyrim to sort of get me through that very long flight, and it did the trick nicely. So um, I absolutely love uh, Skyrim. It's a, it's a fantastic game. 
the my preferred race in the game is Argonian because I think having the water breathing effect, although kind of gimmicky, uh, is pretty crucial for getting to some good treasure and uh, you know like um, underwater dungeons and stuff. Also, if I'm not mistaken, they can't be poisoned, which is good. Jeff Ely, how much did Sunset Riders influence the Star Marshal, if any? Um, a, a huge amount. And in fact, the original wave of the Star Marshal armor, or, uh, you know, the Cowboy Project armor, was exactly dialed into the color schemes of those four Sunset Rider characters. I love that game immensely. I love the arcade game. I love the SNES game. Huge, huge part of my inspiration for this character and this grand project. Uh, I, I went so far as to like print out screen captures from the games and paste them in my sketchbook as I was kind of coming up with uh, these ideas probably about two years ago, maybe even longer. Um, so yeah, huge impact, super fun game, and just those bright, vibrant colors that I love to do. Mike Johnson, uh, Another question, where, were the Star Marshals at all influenced by the thrilling Adventure Hours Sparks Nevada Marshal on Mars? And could we see a figure uh, inspired by that? I don't know what that is. I did, uh, did a little due diligence and looked it up. It is apparently a radio-style drama podcast. Uh, never heard of it. Sounds interesting. Uh, you know, if I miraculously am granted some extra free hours of the day, maybe I'll check it out. But no, uh... Can't say I had heard of that prior to just now. Okay, now we're heading over to our Patreon questions. There's a ton of them here. Apologies if I don't get to yours this week. First up, Jerry Bow. Will the upcoming comic bundle figure be offered separately later on? Um, There's a good possibility that'll happen. It won't happen until sometime in the future if it does. Uh, and also, um, my intention was to release the Rex Gannon bundle figure separately, but there isn't that many left. You guys really bought a lot of that uh, deluxe bundle, so um, I don't think she's going to hang around very long. If you guys are looking for one, might be a good time to pick it up. And maybe if you already have the comic, gift it to somebody else. Gabe Tovar, thoughts on Cyberpunk? Um... I think I covered this two or three distazapods ago. You can take a deeper dive with that episode. Uh, ultimately, I ended up opting for the refund. Um, I, my game sort of glitched several times. Uh, it free- it froze up and it couldn't be played. I was playing on PS4. And uh, I lost a lot of progress that I couldn't sort of... I didn't feel like I wanted to go back and redo. Um, I didn't have a ton of time with the game. I was only probably... I don't know, five or six hours in, uh, nothing really jumped out at me, sadly. It, it looked like a pastiche of a lot of what you would expect to see in a cyberpunk game. I didn't experience anything that I thought was an interesting spin on the genre. It just seemed kind of by the numbers and, you know, exactly the sort of stuff you would expect. Also, um, the handling of the vehicles was absurd. And, uh... I don't know if that was by design or something they're finessing, but we have really good standard sort of language for how vehicles should be controlled in games. You know, 
Um, if you look at Call of Duty or Battlefield or any of these titles, um, we've kind of figured out how you can optimize control and response of a simulated vehicle within a world. And for people to, to like rewrite how the controls for that are, are done doesn't make any sense. It's sort of like we came up with a very good controller scheme for first-person shooters, right? And we've pretty much adhered to that. You could argue it, it, it started with things like Wolfenstein 3D or, or Doom, and we really haven't deviated all that much from it. And this is a, you know, all the studios kind of adhere to the same first-person shooter controller scheme. And it works. It's almost a universal language. Um, why people take liberties with vehicle control schemes, Death Stranding is another really poor example of this, uh, is beyond me. But anyway, I digress. If you want to have a deeper dive, uh, just rewind quite a bit and find whatever Stazapod I was talking about Cyberpunk on. Ryan Rusby, given that the high bar that The Mandalorian has set, what is my temperature on the upcoming Marvel shows? Do you, I think the longer format will be a positive thing for Kevin Feige's MCU, or has the theater format been protecting them from some of the navel-gazing pacing problems that some of the Netflix Marvel shows fall into in later seasons? Any prediction on how they'll change storytelling styles for the longer format? This is really good, thoughtful line of questioning. Um, I, I'm not interested in the Marvel shows. I may watch them. I mean, I wasn't interested in Mandalorian, but, uh, you know, so many people reached out to me and told me I had to watch it, and it was really that good, and it was. So, uh, I'm open to, you know, people, if they really respond to it well, I, I would probably check them out. But I gotta tell you, I, I have very little time to sort of dedicate to these things, and none of them have jumped out at me as particularly interesting. I, I, I've actually really appreciated this little pause that we've had with Marvel films, because um, it really got to be a lot. And I think the quality did diminish. I do think they stuck the landing on the Avengers film, and that was really, like, the crucial thing they had to do. But we've had a lot of sort of, you know, there's no trimming of the fat with uh, that franchise. Um, you also point out that there is a very real problem with the Netflix series, and it's kind of like a, you know, mid-season lull. And it happens for, like, three or four episodes and then it picks back up and uh, without naming names I do have a, a friend who wrote on one of these shows and I asked him about this very same thing and you know the truth is that not everything is really suited for long television seasons and I think that there's a, a particular intrinsic problem with real world settings and characters which you can argue superheroes are superheroic, but it is largely set in this world. And having that that many episodes to fill, it's really fucking tough because you might have a superhero, but then you have him and his orbit surrounded by just normal people that may not be that captivating to follow around. And you have to get into B and C plots, and you have to follow characters that aren't appealing. Really, really tough fucking stuff to do. What does work well for this kind of you know, multi-seasonal storytelling are fantastical things like Game of Thrones, where there's, uh, you know, a ton of mythology and geology to dive into, and, you know, you can sort of take your time and un un unpack these things. Those are what 
kind of work best for these series. Um, you know, I, I think that um, there, there are going to sort of be problems with all these these shows. And, and I got to tell you, I think Mandalorian is probably going to be as good as it gets with the sheer amount of new shows that they've announced at that Disney investors meeting. It, it just seems like there's no fucking way to do it, even if it's John Favreau. I mean, look, John Favreau was in charge of Iron Man 2. That's not a very good movie, you know? Kevin Feige has a great track record, but he is still only one person. So I do think we're going to start to see a real decline and a watering down uh, again of Star Wars and of uh, Marvel. I just, I am a firm believer in the single creative vision, you know, it's sort of one key person that can sort of be the arbiter of creative projects. And then, you know, their focus gets splintered and the results are really piss poor. Daft Punk, haven't heard from those guys in a while, right? And do you know why? It's because Daft Punk only ever work on a single project at a time. That's why they did not sort of tour or did not release any albums while they were working on the Tron soundtrack, which is one of the greatest film soundtracks of all time. Uh, that is what they do, and I think that's sort of the right way to do it. You just have to have complete tunnel vision. You can't sort of be an executive producer on so many other different things and be a writer on other things and be, you know, a director. It's even with the infinite money of Disney, uh, you will see a decline in quality. I guarantee that. Adam Kenyon says, in Dostazapod 108 back in February, when the forecasts for production and shipping were nebulous, you talked about the doomsday protocol that you were compiling to cover your bases in a time of crisis based on parts materials you had on hand already. There were, uh, This was during a talk about how tough, uncertain situations were breeding ground for creativity. You spoke of 10 figures, pre-Radic and Hackerman, that you were ready to identify for the sort of rollout. Uh, he, here are Adam's guesses as to what those were. Construction Bugman, Dust Bugman, Azulado, Greg Gannon, Shibboleth, Dr. Mad, Pangea Island Gorilla, Chameleon Lime, Mustaza Knight, and Reach Weiser. Um, I, I don't actually, I have a hard time recollecting what my doomsday protocol was. I would have to go back to my sort of sketchbooks of the era to um, refresh myself on what it is. A lot of, most of the stuff you've listed here are sort of like kit bashes and Frankenslices. Those were not part of the plan or the doomsday plan. What I do remember is that I think Neon Knight and Downstar Saima were not originally AFOTM figures. They were going to be just regular store releases. And in this doomsday protocol plan, I sort of moved them to the final months. Uh, and I liked that. I thought that they flowed well together and they were good bookends to the year. So those actually ended up staying from that doomsday plan. Um, I think also, yeah, none of the, none of the sort of build it yourself or Frankenslice figures would have made sense for action figure of the month club because I didn't have the enough quantity for those to work. So things like Dr. Matt or Greg Gannon, 
um, Azulado. I wouldn't have had it enough for those to sort of replace uh, something like that. But definitely some of these characters were created through the stress of not knowing what the rest of my releases for the year were going to be. Um, as to which ones, I, I just cannot recollect with any specificity. The Nobby Wiz says, Fred Foods is the mysterious Fred and New Year's resolution guy. If so, what do you think his resolution would be for this year? Uh, I imagine as a uh, captain of industry, he would look to uh, further retrench the rights of unions, to smash labor, to continue to exploit and uh, drive profits up, even if it's to the detriment of the planet. Just making some assumptions here with his role in society. Gavin Raider, I'm currently recovering from the O'Neill design drop, which was massive for me. I was really into the blue from this wave. Are there any colors from other Glyos makers that you are scrambling for more of? Also, how often do you find that just doing random color swaps with your line will create new, unexpected characters or combinations that you hadn't planned? Any particular new creations that have you giddy with anticipation of its reveal? The Patreon gift queue comes to mind. Uh, so I think... Going back to Adam's question and his list of characters, those are all characters that sort of were discovered through building and swapping colors and things like that. So that's that's a part of the process I really like. Um, are there any colors from other Glyos makers I'm scrambling for? Um, I like glow-in-the-dark stuff. I would like to do glow-in-the-dark blue at some point, but I don't have any current plans to do that. So we'll see what happens. As for any particular new creations that have me giddy, uh, yes, and there's one coming up on Saturday. I'll make sure the patrons get a little sneak peek of that ahead of time. Keith Joy, has there ever been any Knights of the Slice Keshi figures? If not, do I have any interest in creating some in the future? Also, with the events of Elegy Part 3, will the events of Elegy Part 3 play into Turbo Atoll, or are these two events apart from one another? Um, so there have been a couple fan-designed Keshis, which I like very much. I'm lucky enough to own a few and have them on display. Um, I have talked a little bit about Keshi in previous Distazapods. I know Keith is a relatively new patron. Um, Keshi is incredibly hard to make a profit on. And it is a very, very low price point. But it costs about the same amount of money to produce as a 3-inch action figure. There is also a ceiling with Keshi collectors. In that they will only buy, on average, about two different paint ways or versions of the same sculpt. Um, now, there are obviously completist Keshi people who want to have every single color, but largely, the average collector in this in this realm will buy one set, and maybe they buy a glow-in-the-dark set, and then that's it. They move on. If there's not new characters, they're not going to repeat the purchase. Comparatively, something like the Classic Knight people will own 10 or 12 of those. Doesn't matter. They like them. New colors, they need another one. So, um, the sort of economics of Keshi have always been elusive to how I operate my business and not something that I can sort of dedicate uh, the considerable money and resources to and expect to see a return that would make it worth my while. That being said, I am experimenting a little bit in this realm with the upcoming Sen 5 figure. For those who know, he does have a little doll's companion. 
and uh, we're going to shoot that in a softer temperature of plastic. It's not going to be quite keshi, but it's going to have a little bend to it. And I consider this to be a little bit of a nod to the keshi figures I love so much. And if it's successful, who knows, maybe there could be more companion figures in the future. Regarding Elegy Part 3 and Turbo Atoll, we're going to start getting into these time issues. And because of future storytelling considerations, I'm not going to be able to answer a lot of questions and I'm going to have to sort of dodge and deflect. What I can tell you for sure is that from this point out, you will be receiving stories that are not in chronological order. It's, it is a victim of how big Turbo Atoll is and how long it will take us to complete that story. So you're going to be reading Turbo Atoll long into the future, long after it happened. As a general rule, um, the universe of Knights of the Slice runs on the same calendar as us. So right now, in the world of Knights of the Slice, it is January 2021. And you can kind of space out where everything is based on the six years that sort of Knights of the Slice has existed in the marketplace. Um, with like Brick and Lime meeting Teal being, you know, 2014 or 2015 around there. The events of Turbo Atoll happen over the course of about a week in October 2020. So you can keep that in mind and understand that you will be reading stories that take place after Turbo Atoll, after that October 2020. You're going to be reading stories that take place before, and you may not have a read on where these all fall. And you're going to have to live with that. <laughs> but yeah, very good question. I know this comes up again. Uh, let's just trust the process. And uh, it will be rewarding, I assure you. Or not. Moving along to Brent Lawson. Will we see a dedicated MoFo design for each head sculpt? Uh, yes, that is the current plan. And just to be clear, by dedicated design, we're talking about colorways. Uh, the plan is to have like signature versions of each of the characters utilizing the same suit body. So you will get to learn each of these head sculpts and you will get to see their sort of standard presentation. Uh, Mark Mosman and Most Toys are also going to be selling in small quantity some carded versions of these figures signed by Mark. So you will have the opportunity to own that if you're a carded collector. So a good example is Bridge. He's going to go live on Saturday. This is sort of the leader of the mofos, sort of the elder statesman. Uh, this is his sort of definitive look. So you're going to be able to purchase that figure and know what his color scheme really is cemented as being. Um, now, there may be a sort of super deluxe figure at some point that includes all the painted heads and gives you a base body. But uh, yeah, generally, we want to do a specific dedicated colorway to each mofo. Sean Denny's got a great question. Have I ever considered a new mold for the detachable chest armor of Harper, of Hyper Knight, sorry. Uh, paired with some great shoulder pieces, pauldrons from other figures, you've got a Hyper Knight 2.0. Uh, yes, early on, I did actually design a couple different uh, armors that would snap into place. There's a sort of like 
SWAT or bomb squad armor. Um, I never pulled the trigger on any of them because, frankly, Hyper Knight sells really well still to this day. It is uh, one of our more popular figures. And typically, you want to introduce new accessories when a mold has sort of lived its life and isn't selling at the same pace with the same heat as it previously has been. You're going to experience this with Desert Rat. There's going to be a resurgence of Desert Rat collectors, largely because of the tweaks that I've made to the mold and the new accessories and such. Um, so I don't know if it'll happen, but uh, it would be sometime in the distant future if it were to. We're heading into the Tomimoto zone. I'm going to go very quick with these. What do I think is the most sought after of my O'Neill collaborations? Probably uh, Queen Kiralalias. I don't know how to fucking pronounce that. You know the one I'm talking about. Which of my collaborations is currently my favorite? I would say that's also my favorite. Out of Nebula, Galaxy Phase, and Nobody Transparent VJs, which is my favorite? Um, probably Nebula. I like that purple. If I'm guessing that right, I might have the names wrong. Do I consider figures with no articulations toys? Sure. Uh, what is the minimum amount of articulation I think a figure needs? One, to be considered a toy. Two, for my enjoyment. I enjoy all sorts of stationary objects, so I don't know that I necessarily need articulation. But I would say at least Kenner's five points of articulation are sort of baseline for me in um, having... A toy have a life outside of just being displayed somewhere. You know, I need a little bit of posability in order to tell stories about them or, or put them on adventures or things like that. Uh, do I think a VJ armor in white and black zebra stripes or orange and black tiger stripes would be tacky? I've been imagining one, but I can't decide if it would be radical or awful. I think it'd be radical, but very expensive to make. Uh, do I ever just rock a mustache solo instead of a beard? I tried it once. It didn't look or feel right. Uh, I did, and I like it. I think it's a, it's a nice way to uh, mix up the look. I usually like mustache with 5 o'clock shadow. Don't want to do mustache just by itself. Uh, my face looks very small when I do that. Matt Connolly asks, where is Elegy Part 3? Sorry, I can't find it. It is on the website. Just in the search bar, type Elegy I, 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 and it should pop up. Uh, also from Matt Connolly, can you imagine if Gizmo landed on Dagobah Swap? Oh, the horror. Would Yoda stand a chance? Or would it be an all-you-can-east buffet from Turbo Atoll? I can't believe I Atoll the whole thing. Uh, well, I would say Gizmo and water is not going to be a good combo, and Dagobah seems to be largely covered in water. Grant Sanders, I know it's sort of cheesy, but what are there any particular New Year's resolutions you have for yourself or Toy Pizza? Happy New Year, by the way. Can't wait to see what you come up with. Um, so, I want to get to a resolution that I didn't get to this year, and that is the Patreon go hitting 200 people. The reason we didn't get there this year is because I had to put a ceiling on the tiers for Action Figure of the Month enrollment, and that actually kneecapped our ability to cross the finish line. Now, I have a waiting list of well over what the difference would be to hit 200 people for joining Action Figure of the Month Club, but just by virtue of how this logistically is going to work, I can't add more people until January 1st. So, unfortunately, uh, I fell short of that goal, and so that's going to roll over to next year. I really want to hit 200 patrons. Hell, I would love to hit 300 patrons. I don't know if that's in the, uh, you know, in the tea leaves or not. We'll see. 
Um, regarding other resolutions, I, I have a pretty specific amount of things I write down on the first of every year, and I check annually to see how I've done. So far, with the exception of that 200 patrons, I exceeded every goal. I will have sort of pretty targeted um, sales goals and things like that for myself. It's just a way to keep me motivated and, you know, have a check-in once a year to see how things have manifested. On a personal level, I'm pretty perfect. Uh, Nothing wrong with me. Fully actualized, transcendental, uh, luminous being, etc., etc. Typically, I, I tend to focus on household things for this year. Uh, we got a small leak in the roof. I would like to get that repaired this week, this uh, this year. Uh, a big one for us was replacing a deck in 2020 that had rotted out and people were falling through quite comically, much like in a cartoon. So I think my resolutions are going to be largely like specific business goals. I would, lo- I would love to release six figures next year. We'll see if that happens. Uh... And then household things like fixing cracked floor tiles and very pedestrian and mundane things. Joe says, another Fred food question. Now that we have Suit Man, are we going to get a Fred? Uh, Who says Fred wears a suit? We've only seen a sort of gigantic uh, bust of Fred uh, broadcasted as a hologram. So you're making some assumptions there, my friend. John Emmett, uh, I've noticed that one of the forearm sockets on the Rift Killer is extremely thin on one side. A couple of the older examples have actually split at this point. Is this something that was changed in future uses of this mold? Uh, That is a portion of the figure that is constantly being repaired and fixed. Uh, Every time we run a Rift Killer, we have to kind of go in and refill it. Uh, Just the, the initial sculpt was too thin. There was not enough clearance for the joint versus the wall of the the hole it sort of plugged into and it has to be reconfigured every single time we run the mold uh just part of you know that's the second third figure we did just part of the learning curve and making these figures and yes for the older styles if you guys use them quite a bit they will probably rub through and wear thin uh you know it's uh this is making toys Sean Gordon, with all the exciting new sculpts that you have to work with, do you find it hard to get excited for making new characters with the older sculpts that have already had several releases like OG Knight or Vector Jump? Um, I wouldn't say I have... I don't have trouble getting excited for using those molds, but I will not run those molds if I'm not excited about a design. So the selection of characters really comes from the design or concept first. If I have a concept that's eating away at my brain, I have to make it then I'm more than happy to run those old characters. I do not run those older tool, tools unless I have something that's invigorated me. So, um, you know, I, I think it's sort of driven by the passion first. Philip Barrara, can I remember the first CD or any physical album I bought for myself? Philip's was This Is How the Wind Shifts by Silverstein in 2014. My first CD was Collective Soul. I believe it was self-titled. I liked the song Gel that they did. They had a couple bangers on that album. They were pretty popular at the time. The first cassette tape I bought was a single of Aini Kamozi, Here Comes the Hot Stepper, and I would play that over and over again on constant repeat while playing Donkey Kong Country, much to the chagrin of my family. My older sister endlessly mocks me for it, 
to this day. But guess what, folks? That is a great fucking song. John Walsh, does Elegy 3 take place before Turbo Atoll? Uh, see my previous question about timelines and my explanation there. Thomas Bucci's got a couple questions. We're going to go through these quick. Has there ever been a toy I deeply wanted to own but couldn't because it had a reputation for breaking easily? Um, I mean, I, I still buy toys that I know are going to break. A lot of the older Met- Metacom stuff is really guilty of this. Palisades Micronauts. It doesn't necessarily stop me. I know I'm going to have to do a little repairing and things like that, but, um, I, you know, I don't... I, if it's an interesting enough toy, I'm still going to move forward with buying it. Has there ever been a toy I wanted to own but couldn't bring myself because it seemed too young or childish? No. I, I Actually, I would say I have more fun in the preschool aisle, and there's much more interesting new things going in that area than there are in the adult or sort of collector action figure aisles. Uh, you know, I love Imaginex, I love Fisher-Price Adventure People, um, you know, there's much more interesting heat and color theory going on there than uh, anywhere else in the store. Has there ever been a toy I wanted to own but couldn't because it seemed too controversial, risky, um, whether it was gore, nudity, body fluid ex- effect part, okay, I don't know what that is, Nazis, uh, Django Unchained figures. No, I, you know, I I don't think of it in that terms. I'm not censored by anybody. Uh, You know, I I just, I don't care. If other people find things offensive, that's their judgment call. That may not be my judgment call. Uh, And in fact, I think I might gravitate towards more riskier stuff just because it's a little bit more interesting. Uh, Number four, has there ever been a toy you wanted to own but couldn't because it was clearly aimed or marketed towards girls? I think just generally, there's never been a toy I wanted to own that I couldn't own or decided not to for moralistic or shame reasons. The answer to all these questions, no. I'll buy anything. It, it, it doesn't matter. I'm not being judged by a deity or a, uh, you know, a standards and practices uh, board. Um, final question. After obtaining the amazing Kanikuman Stadium, what's my new holy grail? white whale toy to chase. I don't know that I have one. I haven't felt for many years that there's something out there that I absolutely have to have. And it's kind of a nice liminal stage to be in with collecting. Uh, These are just sort of pieces of plastic. They flow into my life. They flow out of my life. And uh, I don't know that I need a direction. I I think I'm much more excited about the toys I'm making and getting those, you know, out to the public and consumed by you guys. That's a much more exciting sort of proposition to me than, you know, trying to track down something obscure. I asked my dad earlier this year, what did it feel like to be alive in 1968? For those who don't know, 1968 is really a pivotal year. You should know this. Uh, go back and look at what happened there. Look at who was assassinated. Look at all the leaders that were put down into the ground. Look at the rioting. It truly, probably the most substantial year of the modern age, aside from 2020. And I asked him, what was it like? He was, you know, relatively young at the time. And he said it felt like the end of the world every day. And I think that's what this past year felt like, right? 
It makes a lot of sense, but it wasn't the end of the world. He went on for quite some time after that. He's still with us, thankfully. Uh, so, you know, I think this year is going to be largely a matter of perspective. But if you're listening to this, you made it. We're on the other side. And our kids and grandkids are going to ask us about this banner year. And you're going to tell them, I was there and I bought Knights of the Slice. And that's all that matters, folks. Buy my toys. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, but I'm happy uh, we're all here together. So we got a fun live stream coming up. Thank you for the support this year. Uh, Knights of the Slice has been one of the only bright spots in my universe for the past 12 months. And I hope it was for you guys as well. And now let's make some more toys together. Peace out. Thank you.